Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. To celebrate the new year, a brand new podcast Here's the first episode of Side Streets, a conversational show about life and culture in New York City. An exclusive podcast for those who support the Bowery Boys on Patreon.com. This is a behind-the-scenes kind of show, a bit more nostalgic, sometimes based on our own recollections, and, as the name implies, an opportunity for us to explore tangents about New York City that we didn't get to on the regular show. We're giving you this preview of the first episode with hopes that you'll join us on Patreon at any level to check out the rest. Side Streets will come out every two weeks. Other episodes available right now include recollections of our early years on the Lower East Side and stories about celebrating the holidays. And we've got many more planned, many more on the way. You can listen to more right now by signing up at patreon.com slash Boys. And now, enjoy the show. Hi there. Welcome to Side Streets, the, the, our new name for our new Patreon show. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. For a second, I was like, well, what show am I listening to? <laughs> well, it's our show, Side Streets, formerly known as um, The Takeout. Right now, we're going with Side Streets. We asked you, listeners, we, we polled everybody, and, and you, had, you had great suggestions. Yes, this name was suggested by our listener, Emily Burns. So thank you. That is now the thank official you, name of our show. And why do we like it, Greg? What does Side Streets say to you? Well, to me, it says tangents right or it says things that are connected to the main thoroughfare but aren't mm-hmm. exactly on the <laughs> on avenue. the way to, on the avenue so that you know it means that we can really talk about things that are kind of related you know the previous name the takeout referred to the fact that we were going to like add additional things to each show but sometimes each show did not have more to add i guess yeah, or like there would be a lot of cuts, you know, that we I think that was early on one of the intentions mm-hmm. was to have a sort of clip show of things that was that were really relevant to the story but there just yes. wasn't room for. I think we had that idea all the way back remember when we did the May West show? I think that was one of the first times we I did that. I think so, yeah. It was like extra clips of us talking about May West. Yeah, and we did just record and we did just release a show on Marilyn Monroe in New York. And of course, there was a lot of stuff we cut from that show, but we're not going to stick with that in this episode because we're going to look forward to Mm. Thanksgiving. And 
we were, you know, hungry already thinking about that delicious meal that greets many of us who celebrate that holiday. And so we were just thinking of New York food in general. Yes, yeah, so we thought that we would play a little game on this show where we sort of ask each other questions, like food-related history questions or just sort of our – probably more just our experience in walking around. Like, I mean, so Tom, are you a foodie? Would you consider yourself a foodie? I mean, I en- it depends on what the definition is. If you mean like persnickety about like the the latest restaurant that's coming out and obsessively reading food blogs and like, mm-hmm. you know, eater reviews, th- that ain't me. But yeah. I enjoy food. I love the dining experience deeply, right? And I love the New York, classic New York, even vintage New York dining experience. So I'm a foodie of sorts. I, I think I'm a Bowery Boy style foodie. <laughs> well, but don't come I, to me, you know, to talk about the next celebrity chef. What about you? Well, I can. I always consider you to be more knowledgeable. I think partially because you. You are such a connoisseur of French cuisine and, and can make French cuisine quite well and have it oh, often eat French cuisine. Whereas I'm I come married to fr- French cuisine. <laughs> whereas I come from more modest food ambitions in my life, having eaten more macaroni and cheese than should be humanly allowable on this planet. But I also have my own window into New York City eating, you know, in in my many explorations on the city. So this will be fun because we both have our own favorites. We both have our own little secret spots um, yeah. that we, I think we though can that share. You, I think that you eat out more in New York than I do. I mean, I, I have, I guess, lunches in the city, uh, but you usually like dinner time. You know, by 5.45, I'm like listening to NPR and cooking dinner for kids and, and that other guy. So like I, you know, I have had limited in the past, however old the kids are, five years, I've had limited dinner things, except when we have like a babysitter and it's a big night out on the town. And you so you have more opportunity to be out there eating. Um, but I know lunch spots. Let me tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm eager to jump into this. I mean, in fact, I have the first question. Yeah. Why, for don't, you. You, why don't you start? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. My first question for you and related to this is what is your favorite diner in New York City? Because I have eaten, I think, hundreds of times in diners <laughs> with mm-hmm. you. So and it, all over town, several different boroughs. What's your favorite? Well, yeah. So, so as a backdrop, I mean, I I do prefer to eat at diners. I always seek out diners. Sometimes that's not a good idea, but I often am in a diner, you know, once a week. And you know, luckily, we live in a city that still has dozens and dozens of diners. You know, I mean, not 100. every city, not yeah. not every city enjoys that selection of diners and there's you know there's several different kinds of diners different styles of diners depending on you know what neighborhood you're in i'll try any kind of diner i'll try a high-end diner i'll try the greasiest of spoons just for but the if you're experience. in a new neighborhood and you're walking around and you see a diner for the first time Yes. How do you suss out? How do you sort of like triage, you know, the, the, your inputs to figure out if you're going to take a risk and go in to that one? Do you look it up? Do you read reviews or do you just kind of get a quick vibe 
from what you I, see inside. I, I do get a quick vibe, and usually if I see the menu, and when I mean the menu, I don't mean just like like the list of food that's being prepared. If I can see the actual menu, mm-hmm. that gives me a good vibe. You know, it, it will depend on the condition of the menu. It will mm-hmm. get, it will be oh, right. like if it's actually you know, greasy, <laughs> covered in syrup. Now, it, to me, that says a lot. And you know, there are you know there are again these high end diners have very fancy menus, and then they have the more laminated traditional ones. Sometimes they're mm-hmm. just a page, I, and you know sometimes I'm just, hearing some waffling, if you will, some waffling, some waffling. What do you have a favorite? There is a diner that I go to a lot that I really love, but I have one big problem with. Let me explain. It's the Square Diner. It's in Tribeca. I love it mm-hmm. because it's one oh, yeah. of those kind of trailer type diners. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very small. It's very old school. The food is always very good there. I, f- I think it's a very above average diner. My one thirty third objection- Leonard Street, by the way, thirty yes. third Leonard. Mm-hmm. One of my big objections, and this is this happens in a lot of diners, especially those sort of long running diners, is that it was apparently made for people who were like five foot two. And I can't even you know sit at the counter because there's mm. not enough leg room. And there's even some issues with sitting in the booth. But I'm, I managed to make it work because the food is very good. So, Tom, where's your favorite diner? That's hard for me to say because I think my favorite diner was on 14th Street, the Good Stuff Diner. Oh, which is closed. yes. It's closed. I mean, I just loved and I just loved the experience there because I would sit there. They had great soup, you know, like mm-hmm. a day, like today we've had some kind of gray days. This is made for walking into that place and sitting at the counter and having like a bullet chicken rice soup and a cup of coffee. Oh. I'm, I'm going to make myself weep <laughs> thinking about this. Um, and the good stuff is closed. Fortunately, many places are open. We also had remember down when we were both on the Lower East Side, the East Side Cafe. I mean, like how many business meetings did we have in that place? Um, where was yeah. it? East Broadway and Clinton? I'm well, yeah, say. it was uh, it was Patisco and, um, and then it became Patisco. A, yeah. And now it's a Chinese restaurant. Right. And as a freshman at Columbia, I actually went several months eating every morning for breakfast at Tom's restaurant, Tom's Diner. Oh, of course. Um, at 112th and Broadway. Yeah, that might be the most famous diner in New yeah. York, certainly Seinfeld, the top. Mm-hmm. Suzanne Vega. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it was so great. And I had pancakes every day and I put on 20 pounds. Do you remember that? I put on 20 <laughs> pounds my freshman year. I think it was the pancakes. And you were Tom. So, I mean, it had a special resonance. <laughs> I'm sure it did. I know. Um, Today, I mean, like, the cl- you know, it's not exactly a diner. It's in the diner vein. I'm going to say Veselka. In the East Village. Oh, I mean, yeah. We okay. can call that a diner, right? It's, I think it's, it's open. I mean, it's it's all it's the a time. specialty. Yeah, it's a specialty diner. Okay, okay. It, yeah, I'm it gonna. Works. I'm sure people are going to take issue with the fact that I'm classifying it as a diner. <laughs> Somebody tell me what the difference between Veselka and a diner is, okay? And and Please, then we'll yes. talk. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question next. What okay. strange and eccentric restaurant spot in New York, past or present, do you absolutely love and people may not know about? eccentric now you know of course i don't know one one man's eccentric is another man's fabulous i don't know mm-hmm. what you mean for example when i'm at veselka i'm thinking two doors down is the ukrainian national home right oh I mean, yes that uh-huh. that is one of my favorite experiences you walk down if you haven't been folks it's on second avenue what is that between eighth and ninth 
it's like you're walking into a you know like a Ukrainian shopping mall or something down a long hallway, <laughs> and then there's this windowless restaurant in the back that is just fabulous, and they have wonderful food and like home cooking, and everybody is just like it's like a vintage scene, perfectly preserved. And um, there is I don't want to call it eccentric though, because that seems to be casting some sort of judgment on it. Eccentric might a better example might be Shade Josephine on Forty Second yes. Street. Again, which is like straddling the line between fabulous and eccentric because it's um, it is a fabulous dining experience. The place is dedicated to Josephine Baker. It was started by Jean-Claude Baker and his brother, both of whom were um, adopted adopted children of the great Josephine Baker, uh, the American entertainer, African-American who moved to France in what, the 1930s, 20s? And um, had a totally successful life there. She thought the U.S. was racist and very problematic. Mm -hmm. And so she had a life in in France and adopted all these children and had this amazing story that turns tragic at the end. But her son, Jean-Claude, then with his brother started this restaurant in, I believe, the 1980s um, on Theater Row as part of the whole 42nd Street rebirth. And it is just wonderful. I mean, it's uh, Jean Claude unfortunately died a couple years ago. His brother um, still runs it today. But you and I just had lunch there with the Gilded Gentleman. It's a place to go for lunch. Mm -hmm. What makes it eccentric is that there are portraits of Josephine all over the place. There, you, if you go for dinner, there's often an, a woman playing a trumpet next to a pianist. You know, it's it's loud. The decor is very loud and and fun and over the top. It so it's a it's a fun eccentric restaurant with tassels it's it's beautiful <laughs> what about you what do you think oh i mean What's my eccentric mind for you well i mean i i can really only go to one place that, that pops into my mind and that is uh kanji village in oh, chinatown yeah now they have uh they also have a location in flushing but i have not been there now this is why i love this place in particular i feel like in a way it's um although it, it is a Chinese restaurant and authentic in many, many ways. It is also extremely flamboyant in mm -hmm. its sort of presentation and mm -hmm. its uh, in its decor. And it's over on one hundred Allen Street. And it opened in nineteen ninety six. So you know, I moved down to the Lower East Side in nineteen ninety eight, and I used to eat there all the time. I used to get go and have drinks there. Often. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah. they're the kinds of drinks that I can't drink anymore because they're these sugary, delicious confections. But the thing is about this place is it is a little bit off the, the tourist radar. And I think mm -hmm. part of that is because it's not quite in Chinatown proper. It's sort of on the edge of like East Chinatown. And mm -hmm. so I think that. You know, I think if it was in Chinatown, it would it would be a ton of tourist destination. But I do feel like it's kind of it's popular with locals, it's popular with New Yorkers, and a really fun place to go. And yeah. I still go there; like it's still a place that, and I feel like it's almost unchanged. Although I'm sure the proprietors there would disagree, but to me, it still has the same pleasure that I had in the '90s. And and kanji is a kind of like porridge right from what i recall from eating there mm -hmm. a kind of soup yes it's a rice porridge that has a kind of pudding consistency it's very good right. but i mean i have there's so many things like on the menu that i love there yeah a kind of salty pudding <laughs> well 
which it's, it does not sound good, but it is good. Take right. my word for it. Well, Greg, we often get very nostalgic on the show. And I mean, I just nearly wept over the Good Stuff Diner. So in, mm-hmm. in light of that, I want to ask you if you could bring back one closed restaurant, what would it be? What? Who would you resuscitate? Who would you bring back? Who did you love and is no longer there? Yeah. And these are not like restaurants we wish we had dined at. Like, like, I'll ask like, that uh, next. Let, let, this okay, is one right, that, you've, right. that you've known. All right. I have, so I have two answers off the top of my head. Again, these are like going back to my 90s experiences. And I, I think one of them lasted longer, but I went there a lot in the 90s. Um, the first one... <laughs> Is Ruby uh-huh. Foo's in Times Square. Oh. Now, I used to work, I worked for many, many years in Times Square at the Bertelsmann building and would often go to Ruby Foo's. And it was sort of a, it was, it traces back to a 1950s, 1960s uh, restaurant. And so this was mm-hmm. sort of an upgrade. But I used to always go there. And what is the food? Well, it's so it's it was it was Chinese food, sort of upscale Chinese, but it also did Japanese. It was sort of Pan Asian, I think, mm. um, was Fusion. their menu. Fusion, mm-hmm. yes. Number two, a place that you and I used to go all the time is, of course, the Howard Johnsons uh, in Times Square. I mean, I almost don't true. think of that as a restaurant, even though we did eat there. But you yeah. know, when we used to go there, we would often. Like have drinks or, or in the back and eat their, eat this, the happy hour food. Um, but third, mm-hmm. my third choice, maybe even my top choice, um, is something a little bit more obscure. It was around the Union Square area, and it was a restaurant called America. I and, was thinking about America. <laughs> it was I, an I, early I, theme restaurant, really. Well, that's I. I feel like they should bring it back, bring it back, put it in Times Square. They'll make a million bucks a day. Right. And so it's essentially. It was a restaurant where that had the largest menu I've ever seen, and it had mm-hmm. one dish from every state in the nation. Right. And, right? Which was supposed to be like a signature dish, you know? So, like, yes. do you happen to remember what the Missouri dish was? Oh, uh, I, I... Frito pie? But maybe that was more Southern. I don't even Frito remember, because I, uh, I yeah. feel like I would not have ordered that. <laughs> and I would have been right. like... I want to get away from that and order other things because I was experienced. But it was actually really fun. And they, they had like a big and a party novelty. room. And a novelty. Right. We would go and have like a table of like 16 people, <laughs> right? And everybody would be ordering sort of fancy versions of comfort food from various states, you know? Yeah. And it was a blast. It was a giant room. Giant. It was in... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking it was around 6th Avenue. We're going to look this up and fi- we'll put it in the notes. We want to maybe even get some photos up because it was yes. very oh, popular. Yeah. This was a popular uh-huh. place through the so 90s. So America, yes. Somebody, if you know the proprietors of that restaurant, have them bring America back to, to Times Square. I think it's a great concept. Anyway, what about you, Tom? Well, I mean, I have one immediate go-to answer, but when you when you were taking me up to Times Square and to Howard Johnson's, it did um, remind me of uh, Mars Twenty One Twelve, which was another theme restaurant oh that used to be right across from the Winter Garden. Um, what is that? The Paramount Building, like Fiftieth mm-hmm. and Broadway. Um, where you go down, right? And there was like a New York sports club down there and a subway entrance there. There was a restaurant there in the in the early aughts, right? Was it like 2000, I'm going to say five, six, somewhere around there, called Mars 2112. And mm-hmm. you went in, it's just when theme restaurants were sort of starting to happen. You'd go in and get in this sort of phony baloney 
elevator that was kind of like you were being transported to Mars, right? Mm -hmm. And it would probably move like six feet down, but there was a whole little shtick in there. And then the doors opened on the other side and you walked into this giant dining room. And it was all Mars theme. Yeah. And and then you got like Mars themed cocktails. That was a big thing. I think, was there a dry ice component? There was a lot of sort of (laughs) spooky, hilarious... People were dressed as aliens, right? I mean, there yeah. was like there were costumes of all different kinds. Who came up with this concept? This is genius. Oh my god! It needs yes. to be brought okay. back. We need to bring that across the street from America. Bring bring America. Yeah. I mean, now like the the special effects would be so much more better produced. <laughs> I mean, it was but sort I think of cheesy. That was part of the it. charm, yeah. right? This was part of the charm. Is you oh were getting gosh. like basically chicken fingers and like some. Purple drink with dry ice in it, you know, and you were paying like a hundred dollars. We would get right before like going to a Broadway show. You and I would meet up and have some weird blue drink at Mars Twenty One Twelve. But if I had to bring back one restaurant, it would obviously be Le Vaudor, um, which was Mm -hmm. my favorite French restaurant on Sixtieth Street um, in Lexington, and it's the only restaurant in New York where I actually was a regular. Where I felt, you yes. know, it was my cheers, and it was because it was it was this like vintage French bistro that you, that you walked into it closed a few years ago, uh, pre COVID. Um, when Kathy, the owner, sold it, and it was going to be reopened by some new hot chefs from downtown. So maybe that's still on track. Uh, hopefully, it is. Because it's a great, you know, it's also a holdover. We just talked about this in the Maryland show. It's a holdover from when the East Side was this big dinner club scene Mm -hmm. and um, when Maryland lived here. So it traces itself, you know, that story back to the 50s. The owner, Kathy's father, when we first started, when Guillaume and I first started going in 2008, maybe, um, Mm -hmm. her father was still always there every single night dressed in a tux. He would greet you at the door and walk you to the table. And it was a prefix menu. That was not that expensive, you know? So it was actually mm-hmm. like vintage French New York dinner club dining with a prefix menu that was like, I don't know, $40 or something. And you got three courses. And it was just so fabulous. And, you know, and and lots of interesting people went there. Like Liz Smith was always, she had a table right around the corner. Mm-hmm. One time I was actually, we were sitting there having dinner and I said to Kathy, that woman over there looks exactly like Bette Midler. And she said, darling, that's because it is <laughs> Bette Midler. And she was like, she was like five feet away from me. You know, it was, a, it was a tiny little place. And lunch, didn't we go there for lunch once? I mean, oh, sure. ended up getting kind of wet, if you know what I mean. You get, you get extra well, it was, well, it was sauce. One, well, it was Ooh. one of those places where like, was it the best food in Midtown? Yes. No. Was it, yes. was it, was it a, one of the best environments to hang out in? Yes, absolutely. Patrons, of course, won't have any ad breaks in their side streets, but since this is a free sneak preview, we're taking a moment for some sponsors. More food and fun after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still 
very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Tom, <laughs> where do you like to eat pizza? Where's your favorite place to, oh. to eat pizza Like when you're walking around? I mean, I don't know if you're a slice guy, but like if... If you get um, um, if you get a slice, where would you prefer to get it from? Yeah, I haven't walked around with a slice in a long time. I'd like to sit down and eat it. Um, I love. Let's see, the last places I've ordered it from John's of Bleecker, classic. Mm-hmm. In fact, I feel like I'm always eating pizza there. And then is it Arturo's? Uh, uh, yes. On on Houston, um, what is that? In McDougal, something like that, where where they have the coal fired pizza. I really mm-hmm. enjoy. That. I mean, Lombardi's obviously, you know, that's great. And classic New sure. York, mm-hmm. but I I think I like Arturo's more. I like the taste, the charred taste of the coal fired uh-huh. ovens. Yes. What about you? You seem like you know the the pizza scene better. I really have a lot, but I'm only going to narrow it down quickly to three because it's based on different experiences. For okay, um, a kind of sit down experience. When I am in Manhattan, I love going to Keste in the oh, yeah. seaport area. And what I like about them is they make an absolutely brilliant 
gluten-free pizza. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to and do. you're not gluten-free. I'm not gluten-free. My partner is. But when I go there, I eat gluten-free all the time because I like it. It's really good. So they have great pizza. When I'm walking around Brooklyn and I want to sit down somewhere, my personal favorite is La Villa over in Park Slope, which mm. is just like a family run. I mean, it, it just reminds oh, yeah. me of what you just described. Very coal-fired. It's delicious. Mm. But to me, the best pizza is L&B Spumoni Gardens which is the Sicilian oh. Square pizza. Oh, yeah. And that's down in Gravesend, actually. And so, you know, a little bit of a trek. People need to go down and experience this place if they have not, because there's a lot of famous pizza. This place has been open since 1939, and, you know, it's it's So it's also famous for delicious Italian ice cream as well. So mm-hmm. but go down there for pizza. It's worth It's worth it. It will change your life. Yeah. And when are we doing redoing the pizza show? Oh, as soon as possible. Whenever whenever you're ready, I am ready to fire up the ovens. <laughs> oh, with coal or wood or whatever. Just oh, we, fire yes. them up. <laughs> I mean, as we're talking about this, I'm just like, God, I mean, we really we clearly I clearly need to do more research. I need to get out of Manhattan and get mm-hmm. to some other boroughs. I mean, when you and my brother were in Cobble Hill, like we were always eating pizza on Court Street and, you know, the various places over there. And and then there's obviously everything in Dumbo. Well, for my third and final question, Greg, I'm going to just sort of like work on something. This is a variation on a theme that you brought up before. If you could visit a restaurant that's no longer open that you never actually went to, one of the great restaurants in New York history or styles of restaurant, wh- where would you go? What do you, yeah, what I do don't you feel ha- like you missed out on? Well, the first thing that jumps into my head, because I, mm-hmm. I, during the pandemic, I did a solo show on the history of Chinese restaurants mm. in New York City. And chop suey was what everyone mm-hmm. ate 100 years ago. And it was like these, you know, like, quote, bohemians that would go down to Chinatown and they would popularize this specific dish, which then like it spread all through Manhattan. Now, yeah. have you had chop suey before? I I've grew never. up eating chop suey. I mean, oh, like choy. You mean like... <laughs> I, I guess so. Well, choy obviously is like the popular version of right. this dish. The Americanized. And never, yeah. And I never really ate it. And, you know, I it probably is not as good as many of the delicious Chinese meals that I've had. But I would love to just go back and ex- see what experience those types of scenes, those sort of everyday chop suey restaurants. And, you know, it's it's a it's a sort of a different selection. I mean, maybe my taste buds would be I don't know what if they would be like energized or if they would be bored because it, it may not be a flavor sensation. Who knows? But I just would love to experience that environment again, after, yeah. especially after doing all that research again. So, you know, I don't have a specific place. I guess mm. it would be nice to have like what did those first bagels taste like? Ooh. Right? Like or what was it like going to a Jewish deli in the 1920s? You know, I mean like those I, yeah. it, it's almost more experiences than specific food when you in, in posing that question. What oh, about yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I similarly I think I would like to go and spend some time in some automats. You know, mm. like oh, late night. Of I mean, mm-hmm. it's 
they're they're the cousin of the diner, right? Mm-hmm. So like to to go to one of the classic automats, like the Horn and Hard Arts, you know, that were around Times Square, hang out in the middle middle maybe not middle of the night, maybe things got sketchy, but like late, you know, sip on a coffee, eat a dessert, have some like you know coconut cream pie after the theater. You know, sounds sounds fabulous. I imagine kind of like a smoky scene in there. Or lobster palaces while we're in the neighborhood. That would have mm-hmm. been fabulous. Maybe like mm-hmm. or, or a rooftop garden type thing. Yeah, so I think those are things that we have definitely researched mm-hmm. and wished that we had been able to experience firsthand. Okay, so Tom, my third question is really more of a statement of just food oh. carts, food trucks, food carts. Uh, what's your opinion? Which what's your experience? <laughs> um, yes. Is this a yes or no question? No, I have a long history. I think I was an early adopter of food carts, Greg. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember in the 90s when we both had these well, I had a temp job and you were at you were at BMG. But um I was working at uh NBC. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a temp job there in 1998 and for for many many months and Every day for lunch, I would go out to the corner of 6th Avenue and 50th or 51st where they Mm -hmm. had all of the carts lined up. And there was one particular cart that I went to every every day that was the chicken and rice guy. Right. And there was like, you know, he had a laminated mm -hmm. uh, daily news profile of him. Best chicken and rice cart in the city thing on the side. And Mm -hmm. um, I would get it in really a little styrofoam container with my chicken and rice and, and the white sauce on it and the whole thing and like a Sprite or something. And I ate that every single day for lunch (laughs) because it was the tastiest thing in the whole world. I still to this Mm -hmm. day have no idea what he did to that chicken, but it was like, I'm salivating as I'm talking right now. It was so good. And then I hit a wall. I, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was like three months of eating chicken and rice, but I just hit this wall and I have rarely gone back i know that's not a thing to say or admit out loud but like because i know food trucks are all the rage and there are all these interesting food trucks everywhere yes there are some Mm -hmm. kind of like i think i'm still digesting that you know it's like i'm i'm like (laughs) still getting over it um though having said that i do still get like breakfast sandwiches from guys in carts of course yeah you look the the coffee cart guy if there's a griddle in there, and if there seems to be a line of people waiting, then it's all, th- those are all good signs. And it's like $2, you know, for, mm-hmm. for egg and ham or egg and cheese on a roll. Sometimes even buttered if you're feeling extravagant. It's like the best value breakfast around. See, I am not a foodie to come back to your earlier <laughs> question. What about you? W- you? You don't go to food. We've never gone to a food cart together. No, but, you know, I mean, I'll go, I go when I'm running around the city. I just want to – I will use my time here to recommend, like, two areas that I think that have, like, the best food carts. I mean, there's a there's a ton of them. Lower Manhattan oh, yeah. is obviously great for, for food carts. Around Zuccotti Park, that's where you should go for a good breakfast sandwich because there are mm. several. There are several just sort of lined up there, and, you mm. know, you could just sort of sit in the park and, and enjoy, like, a delicious breakfast sandwich for just, like – you know, five or six dollars, mm. and then uh, my other recommendation is five or six Long dollars. City. Have prices gone up? Wait for a breakfast sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty oh good for a breakfast sandwich. I think it I might think be more. Like Two fifty. Okay, go on. 
Okay. <laughs> they were in, have, they I were guess in I 1999. Need to update my prices. <laughs> <laughs> but in um in uh Long Island City, I guess it's probably perhaps more in the summer. I'm not sure what the availability is as we get into colder weather, but they have amazing food trucks there that are just mm. sort of lined up and yeah. with just a, a wonderful array of different foods. So, and th- you know, and actually that they have lots of delicious restaurants generally speaking in Long Island City. So, um now Kieran our producer here has also prepared some questions from food related questions for us here. We have not seen these. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the side streets. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. My first question is, you know, there's a bunch of places that are obviously very popular in New York city. And sometimes there's a guaranteed wait or a line before you can actually, mm. you know, get your hands on this delicious food or dessert. <laughs> For example, uh, one you mentioned, Tom, John's of Bleecker. I find whenever oh, yeah. I go there, you often have to wait in line. So oh, yeah. my question mm-hmm. is, what places are you willing to actually wait in line knowing that there's going to be one when you show up? <laughs> hmm. I mean, Where I mean, do we wait in line? I mean, I am an incredibly impatient person, and when I do go to a place and I see a line there, I'm just like, I can get a version of this across the street, so see you later. But it is true that there are just certain places that you cannot... It's just something about the whole experience of waiting in line adds to the overall value, right? I mean, like, people used to do this at Magnolia Bakery, for instance, they would oh, yeah. wait in line for an hour to get that cupcake so they could feel like Carrie Bradshaw. You know, I've, I've never done waited in line, by the way. <laughs> never. No, no, no. 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 I will say that there are a couple dumpling places in the old Chinatown, East Chinatown district where Tom and I used to live mm-hmm. that also had kind of lines out the blocks and I would never go anyplace else. And... Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, there's there's so much diversity. Of course, you could go and find delicious food in other places, but you know, sometimes it is about that experience. Sometimes it is about the like waiting in line because I know what I'm going to get. It's just going to add to the the pleasure of the meal. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Well, for by the way, John's a John's a bleaker. I think if you go at lunch again, another <laughs> another plug for eating at. At l- going to places for lunch it's you know it's just a breezier experience i in lombardi's you always have to wait at lombardi's i it, around the corner and nearby john's is um mamoon's falafel always wait mm-hmm. but that moves so fast you know it's like you, you kind of like move but i don't think i've ever just walked right in and walked right up you've got to wait you know and you make your way up and also um there's a vietnamese uh, banh mi right across mcdougall uh, that I go mm-hmm. to all the time, um, Saigon Shack, I, I believe is the name. And uh, again, they have fabulous and affordable banh mi, and there is always a wait. You know, it's just the nature of the place. But it it does. I like what Greg was saying. I think it makes it taste better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Kieran? I think for me, it would probably be Absolute Bagels in the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. There is always a line, and it seems to get longer every time I go. <laughs> <laughs> and and will now maybe it'll be even longer now yeah. that um, patrons will will be lined up also. Oh, but it is it fantastic! Out. You can show up and ask what bagels are still warm, and there's a whole mm. selection of them. And they even make little mini bagels in case you want to try one, but you don't want 
to indulge in a whole extra bagel. Uh-huh. Just get a little small one. <laughs> Absolute bagels. So moving on, let's say you guys have um, a friend or some friends coming into town and maybe they're a, a foodie of some kind and they want to go on some kind of maybe afternoon food tour. What mm. neighborhood might you bring them to so that way you're able to hit maybe you know two or three different spots and give them a, a taste of a neighborhood? A neighborhood for a food tour. Well, I mean, I fall back immediately on a show that I did several years ago, which was a Lower East Side walking tour. I mean, that's a, a Lower East Side culinary walking tour because you can hit up several different ethnic types, uh, culinary types in, in one short walk. I mean, you can do Katz's. Um, you could go down to Kosar's Bialy's. Uh, you can go to... But at the same time, you could you could eat Chinese, you could do dumplings, you know, you could do all of these different things. You could go to, of course, swing by Russ and Daughters. I mean, it's all a, a quick walk. I would like to do, however, if I got to choose, I, I need to do a walking tour of Arthur Avenue in that, the Bronx. That would I be my do, answer. Would too. that be yours? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I need an excuse to get to know those restaurants better. There's some fabulous ones, yeah. Yeah. You have a favorite there? Mm. Uh, one I really like is actually just off Arthur Avenue, and I believe it's called Tra de Noy. You know, it's like 30 years old or something like that, but they consider themselves the new players in town. <laughs> and it's quite good. A family spot. Yeah. My answer would immediately be Flushing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be because my other. Of, there's just there's a, such a diversity of restaurants over there and also like affordable Right, I mean, oh, like yeah. you can go, you can have the best food for kind of cheaper prices than in uh, some other places. You know what's interesting about this question, though, is we now live in this interesting era of food halls, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would never say, "Hey, let's," you know, you would want you want to go out and see a neighborhood, right? You obviously want to right. go out and experience like the food in like the context of the street but there are so many good food halls now that actually do all that work for you in particular just two off the top of my head one of them is of course the market line down at essex market yeah which kind of bandied together some of the best names in the restaurant and the in the mm-hmm. in that neighborhood and other neighborhoods. So you can the literally just side, walk yeah. right. Mm-hmm. You can walk from like booth to booth basically. Yeah. And also and I also feel that way about City Point in downtown Brooklyn, which also has a very delicious food hall, um, with just every kind of cuisine that you would like. And they now just opened a um six point brewery down there. So you can wash all of it down afterwards. Um <laughs> with a an authentic Brooklyn brewer. <laughs> Yum. Yeah, and and don't forget also Flatbush. I mean, we did another culinary walking tour uh, back during the summer when we went from Caribbean food outlet to Caribbean food outlet and it was just mm. so yummy as well. So there are so many opportunities in the city to walk and eat at the same time. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. And then for my final question for you both, uh, this also relates to an episode that you did maybe a couple years ago. It, um, in fact, it was a live episode, number 306, on uh, iconic New York City desserts. So mm-hmm. I-, I picked three of, out of the five. And yes. I was wondering which of these three, if you had to choose one, you know, maybe this is an unfair question, but if you had to choose one for the rest of your life, would it be cheesecake, New York City cheesecake, cannoli, mm-hmm. Or a donut, the rest of your life. 
Wait, wait well, for I, the rest of, like we can only eat this for the rest of our life? We'll be barred from eating the other two. Well, I mean, I'm going to make that easy because it's also I'm going to bring it back to our very first question because it's something I can't believe I overlooked. My answer will be cheesecake and my answer will specifically be Junior's cheesecake. <laughs> I forget oh. that Junior's is actually like a diner. Like it is it is in fact like almost like a theme park version of a diner. But I have such a deep relationship with the place. It's almost in a special class. And yeah. Yeah. to me, I mean, there's so much good cheesecake in this town to even kind of single one out seems sort of silly, but I'm just addicted to to Junior's cheesecake. And in fact, I usually don't ever eat dessert, to be quite honest, except when I go to Junior's. I always have to get it. So so to me, I will even ne- confine myself further by saying not only is it only <laughs> cheesecake, sorry, Dunkin' Donuts, um, it's not only is it just cheesecake, but it's only Junior's cheesecake. But they have so many varieties. I can choose the different varieties and pretend I'm doing something magical. Right. You, Tom? Well, I think that if you're going to take cheesecake, I'm I'm taking donuts. Um, that way, we're saving between the two of us cheesecakes and donuts, um, and only voting <laughs> cannolis off the island. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry cannolis, but uh, yeah, no. The, and it's interesting that you group these as desserts, as we did as well um, mm-hmm. on the show. I mean, because I think of you know donuts as a delicious and nutritious way to start the day you're quite right yeah it's <laughs> but it's it's i have a hard time walking by a fresh donut especially if it's made at a place <laughs> like you know like the donut plant on the lower east side or you know the donut the donut diner the donut pub that's on 14th street i just have a really hard time passing those by Kieran, how about we do this? If I'm going to take the cheesecake and Tom's taking the donuts, you take the cannoli. I'll take Where's the your cannoli, favorite cannoli up on Arthur Avenue and we'll yes. call it a, an eternity of dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a deal. We've saved all three. Wow. We, yes, we landed on you. that um, finale. Thank you for joining us today on the show, Kieran. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, and thank you listeners for helping us choose this name and hopefully you will really enjoy what we have in store for side streets. Is it the side streets? We need to decide this now. Is it the side streets or side streets? Yeah. I think side I, I like streets side street like a musical. exclamation point. But that's a good yeah, thing. Sides. That's a good thing. Side streets. Sounds like a musical. We'll also be putting these questions um, in the post on Patreon. We would love to get your feedback as well um, about your favorite old time New York restaurant, etc. All the things that we've just answered. I'm sure you had an answer as well. So post away <laughs> yeah. on patreon.com, add to the post, and share your advice. Share your favorites for everybody else. That's right. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. For more side streets, join us at patreon.com slash Boys. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota. So little time.